Hello and welcome to the 20 Minute Hit, the sports podcast that still isn't as quick as most Sunderland managers' tenures. I'm Ollie Wilson, sports commentator and broadcaster for the Football League and Talk Sport. And as always, we're taking the five main talking points from the last seven days in the world of sport, breaking them down into three minute chunks apiece. And then once the buzzer goes, we're on to the next one. Quick as lightning, as always, with Paul away this week on his honeymoon, and we do hope he's having a wonderful time. I have two guests joining me today. The first one, a man who needs no real introduction at all. He is the Guardian's video producer and NFL writer. We're going broadsheet today. It's Mr. Max Whittle. Max, a pleasure to have you join us on the show today, mate. Great to be here. Too much of an intro there, Ollie. Can't <laughs> give me too much love yet. Um, <laughs> we, will, uh, we will wait to see how you do, I guess, today, because you're taking on uh, our second guest today, and a man who is Max's co-host on the Shot Clock pod, as well as a football writer and broadcaster for BT Sport, ESPN, and pretty much anywhere else on the planet. Of course, it is the one, the only, Mr. Andy Brassel. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm very well. How are yourselves? I'm I'm great, Andy. I'm great. I'm great. Thank you. We are we are all fine and dandy here on the show, but we are running out of time rapidly. So we will get down to our first topic here on the 20 Minute Hit today. And we're going to talk about the home nation's success in the European qualifiers. And are the European qualifiers just allowing more chaff to join the wheat in the tournament? Gentlemen, the home nations have been fantastic in those qualifying uh, rounds. But do they all deserve their spots in the chance to go to the Euros next summer? Yes, I think so. Um, I, I, th- I think if, if you look at Northern Ireland, they would have qualified under the old system. Uh, the, the same goes for England. Uh, of course, you could say uh, Wales, in, with that game in, in, in Bosnia, fell off top spot uh, behind Belgium. Would that have been the case if they knew that they absolutely had to win in Bosnia? I'm not sure it would have been the case. I think you know they were well set to go to Bosnia and win, with Bosnia having to go all out and uh, Wales having to hit them on the counter-attack. So I believe all home nations that did qualify do deserve to qualify. We have, of course, got the Republic of Ireland lingering on the playoffs as well, Max. I mean, your thoughts in general as well on this uh, qualification process. Have too many of these small teams, perhaps like Iceland, etc., have got through and slipped through the cracks and been able to get into the main tournament then? I think that the qualifying round has actually been made more exciting by this. I think the tournament itself is what's going to really be affected. The competition slightly watered down. I remember getting into work after the Wales game when they lost to Bosnia, and I didn't know the result, and I saw a picture of Gareth Bale sliding on the pitch, and then I looked up and saw that they'd lost 2-0, so I wasn't quite sure what was going on. <laughs> but then, yeah, it's, I think it's good that we get to see Gareth Bale and players that are like him on the world stage. I do believe, however, that especially with the England qualifying group, 10 wins out of 10, it shows you that these a lot of these teams are very weak, are weakened. So the competition, I think, will lose out because of that. I mean, we've we've lost Holland as well. Obviously, unable to qualify uh, for the tournament next summer, but we've gained the likes of Albania. I mean, for the fans in general going into the tournament as well, you want to see. It used to be the best in Europe would play in this tournament, and because of the additional spots, you know, there's a chance that we are going to see the likes of. Well, we get definitely going to see Albania, but Hungary have still got a chance to get through. Slovenia. I mean, these aren't going to be household international teams that are going to be playing. No, but you could say that uh, of any international competition. And the fact is that I think the new format has already been vindicated by the Netherlands failing to qualify. You know, it's, it's meant to be the, the tournament that no decent international nation could fail to qualify for. Well, hello, Holland. I mean, that, that, that's what they managed to do. And, you know, you talked about Iceland slipping through the cracks. I mean, they finished first, for goodness sakes. You know, they, they, they would have gone through in, in any situation well actually you know they were second weren't they, they were in the second. Czech Republic but you know again I think if they'd have known they 
they'd have had to stay top. They, they, they definitely could have done. They're a great addition to it. Gents, uh, very quickly as well, the fact that Scotland weren't able to uh, qualify or make a playoff spot, unlike the rest of the home nations, does that put more pressure on Gordon Strachan? It's a struggling Scotland international side. Well, I think that Scotland don't qualify for a lot of things anyway, so I'm not sure what the <laughs> expectation is for any manager that's there. I think you look at Chris Coleman, he's probably got job security for life getting Wales to a national tournament. I think Scott, I think Strachan's going to be fine. What can you expect? Yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely definitely got a pint for life in every single bar in Wales as well, Chris Coleman, that's for sure. Let's look ahead and uh, to the weekend coming up in the in the world of football. And, of course, the main talking point for the last few days has been Liverpool finally getting Jurgen Klopp in as their manager. Uh, Andy, let's kick this off with you because I know you're a, a bit of a German Bundesliga aficionado uh, when you want to be at least anyway. <laughs> uh, but is Jurgen Klopp the right man for the job at Liverpool? Yes, I think he is, and I think he has been for a while. If they'd have let uh, Brendan Rodgers go in the summer, as they probably should have done before uh, a lot of money was uh, spent to, you know, help him at least ostensibly um, improve the team and and leave it in this weird situation where uh, Klopp has to start a couple of months in outside a transfer window, um, then then it would have been even better for him. It means he's got. a bit of a rebuild, but you know that's something that he's worked with before at Mainz, Borussia Dortmund. I don't think people should look back on uh, last season and think of this as representative of where Klopp's at overall. Uh, overall, he, he had seven years at Borussia Dortmund, which is a lifetime mm. in the modern game, and he took them to two consecutive Bundesliga titles, which was absolutely unthinkable. I suppose the only real difference is the fact that well, that wasn't expected at Dortmund. No one's expecting him to win the league this season at Liverpool and possibly not even next season, but they will expect a league title at some point down the line and that is a significant added pressure. Max, there is expectation as uh, on any Liverpool manager who goes into a club that size. Is it a feasible expectation though when you consider their transfer policy, their purchases and the fact they can't keep hold of world-class talents? I think what you're going to see now is a lot of especially Bundesliga players coming to the club. And I remember going back to July... Um, when I was doing the season previews and I was with the Merseyside correspondent for The Guardian, Andy Hunter, and he told me that the longer that Jürgen Klopp stays out of a job, the more pressure it's going to be on Brendan Rodgers to start well. And then they definitely need to be close to 100% record after six, seven, eight games for him to have any chance of keeping his job. I think he rode the season with Luis Suarez when he scored loads of goals and he's really struggling since then. But Klopp's got a very big task on his hands. I don't think it's a sure thing to say that he's going to succeed. Yes, he's got a great sense of humour with the press. Whether that wears off over time, I don't know. Uh, Yes, he's got a good reputation with Dortmund, but it still comes down to can you get the best players to come to Liverpool when you're competing with the likes of United, Chelsea, Arsenal? I don't don't think that matters so much. Um, He he didn't have the best players when he was at Dortmund and he still managed to win the title twice in a row. In the second year, they won the double. They beat uh, Bayern 5-2 in the final. Uh, and, of course, they got to the Champions League final and only lost by a whisker. I don't think that the things about budget and all that really matter that much. The question for me is whether Klopp has recovered from last season when he appeared to have completely run out of ideas. And I think you look at Dortmund now, you look at the fact that Thomas Tuchel has come in and raised those players who look like dead duck signings when he brought them in last season. The fact that he's got the best out of them, I think shows exactly how much Klopp had fallen off last season. So this enforced sort of um, sabbatical, this mini sabbatical that he's had, he really needs to show that he's taken something from that and refreshed.
Just very quickly, there's been a comparison of Rogers and uh, and Klopp. Is that fair that they both couldn't keep hold of world class talent? No, it's completely different. Fair enough. Right on the buzzer, Andy. <laughs> thank you very much for that. Let's move. Uh, there's no comeback. <laughs> <laughs> let's move to uh, to the NBA that kicks off in uh, just under two weeks. I know you've been counting down uh, the hours, both of you, until the uh, the proper season kicks off. Uh, there's been plenty of heated words, though. Doc Rivers saying that Golden State were lucky uh, last season. The fact they didn't have to play the San Antonio Spurs or the LA Clippers made them fortunate winners of the NBA playoffs last year. The overreaction as well by the Golden State players and then the follow-up from Rivers today. Gentlemen, sparks are starting to fly around Golden State. First and foremost, Max, what did you make of the almost overreaction that the Golden State players, including uh, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, uh, and Andrew Boga all had to these comments? I don't think it was an overreaction at all. I think they were having a bit of fun with it. I, they might have come across as sounding serious, but you know what quotes can do? They can make them look more serious than they are. And Look, you can't tell me that a team that were top of the Western Conference for the whole of last season are not deserving of a world championship. That's a, difficult, that's a very difficult conference the last five or ten years. They managed to stay on number one for the whole series. They can't help who they play in the series. And just because the Clippers didn't get the, the job done against San Antonio, you know, you can't blame Golden State for that. Um, I think the comments were, were fine. I thought Coe's were very funny. And, uh, you know, you, you cannot argue with the teams that are put up against them, they beat them. But you don't you don't think then the uh, Andrew Bogut comment about getting the uh, the middle finger fitted for his ring so then maybe they can kiss <laughs> that. I mean, it's funny, but there's an intensity, it seems, to that comment as well. I think he's got to be careful because it could come back to haunt them. If the Clippers and the Spurs are going to mean business with Marcus Aldridge coming to San Antonio next season, Paul Pierce is going to get the Clippers firing. He's got to be careful, Bogut, but still I think Golden State are the best and most talented team and they really believe that and they they, act, they talk like they, they believe in themselves. Is, is there bitterness? Is it fair to say there is bitterness from Doc Rivers, Andy, uh, uh, these comments about Golden State being lucky or as he said in the last few days, uh, in the last day or so, excuse me, he was the comments were taken out of context, and he was saying everybody needs a bit of luck when you win a championship. I think it's it's, it's ridiculous thing to say, really. Uh, I mean, of course they're they're trying to uh, make up for their own choke last season. I think it was Carrie Champion on the ESPN podcast that said midway uh, through that series with the Rockets, clip's going to clip. They're going to find a way of <laughs> mucking it up, and and they 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 really did. I mean, it's just extraordinary. They really should be concentrating on their own performance, and especially with those reinforcements that Max was. Talking talking about this season. They don't need to put any more pressure on themselves, especially, you know, that you've got that little injury to Chris Paul um, at the start of the season as well um, with, with, with the finger problem, which shows, you know, that they're, they're vulnerable. You know, they've, they've got to get off to a to a good start. And as Max says, the Western Conference is so, so strong. They can't be setting themselves up for a fall. Uh, uh, can I just say that oh, when was the last team that won the title without any, part, any form of luck? Look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. Arguably, they, you would have said they would have won the finals if they hadn't lost Irving, if they hadn't lost Love. They did. Golden State managed to stay healthy throughout the season. They had a first-year coach who did well. And they, they were lucky, but every team that wins the title has to be lucky in some way. Do you think Rivers was... Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Doc Rivers was backtracking then today when he said it. I, was, I meant every team needs luck. And he's actually trying to cover up perhaps his mistake and his own uh, kind of, uh, I guess, putting pressure on Golden State going into the start of the season. Yeah, possibly. I mean, because that, like the Cavaliers are the uh, bookie favourites uh, again in Vegas, you know, I don't think there is that much pressure on Golden State. They're in a great position. They're the best team there is. And yet no one has them as favourites with the Spurs reinforcements. 
It's going to be a very entertaining <laughs> NBA season. It all kicks off in uh, in the next week and a bit. And of course, uh, these two will be eagerly watching uh, and giving us all the breakdown on the NBA with the Shot Clock Pod as we go throughout the year. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk a little bit of NFL now. And uh, last weekend, we saw Matt Stafford and Peyton Manning benched. And there's a lot of talk suddenly this week about big earning quarterbacks that aren't doing enough to earn their money. Max, I'm going to start with you here. First and foremost, who are these quarterbacks in the NFL? that are being way overpaid considering what the, the production that we get from them. Okay, so we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick and uh, Ryan Tannehill in London last in the, a few weeks ago. Uh, I'd give you Fitzpatrick as the example first. He got a six-year deal in Buffalo, $59 million, and 24 of those are guaranteed. And then Tannehill got six-year, $96 million, 17 guaranteed. So I, I guess what I want to say first is that even though there are huge contracts being given out to NFL quarterbacks, a lot of that money is not guaranteed. The greatest example is Colin Kaepernick, who got a big deal before the start of this season. He hasn't performed well so far after four or five weeks, and it looks like he's going to be moving on potentially down the road. That means he will not recoup all the money that they, get, they offered him on the table. So these, I think these contracts look bigger in the news than they actually are in reality. And Michael Bennett, the Seahawks uh, defensive uh, player, was saying a few weeks ago, or it might have been a few months ago, that quarterback's the only position where you can be mediocre and still get paid. Ryan Tannehill might have had six or seven wins before he got his huge contract. So, yes, they get big money, but they're so valuable to their teams and GMs overreact after performance from them that they put all their money on them. Are they as, are they as valuable, though, as everybody seems to, to say they are and contracts would suggest? Because you can't have a quarterback performing that well if he doesn't have pieces around him to, to help him out and assist him. He needs a line, and the line can make calls on the line themselves about blitz schemes, etc., coming at them. He needs running backs to take the pressure off and to give him half a chance. I mean, imagine how bad Jay Cutler would look without, without the run game in Chicago at the moment. Okay, I'll give you an example um, there, the Dallas Cowboys. So, Tony Roma has a great offensive line, but he's now injured, and Brandon Whedon still hasn't won a game since going back to his Cleveland days. So, even though you've got a good O-line, and they have got running backs that can fit into that system, you still need a quarterback. It's a throwing league, it always will be, because there was this hurrah about the Wildcat offense for about three weeks a few years ago, but that quickly died down, because it's all about your quarterback. And you mentioned Peyton Manning getting benched, but you can't tell me at 39 years of age that Peyton Manning hasn't been worth the money that's been paid to him. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, but this is going to be a quarterback league. Do you not think there are too many quarterbacks that we look at, though, and you can pick out more that perhaps being overpaid than the ones that actually valued at what they should be? I mean, you look at someone like Tyrod Taylor on three-and-a-half-million, three-year deal at the moment in Buffalo, and then you compare it to someone like Alex Smith, who's a proven guy who can't throw downfield and, and seems to struggle, yet he's on a 60, uh, $76 million, uh, contract with $45 million guaranteed. Well, there just aren't enough quarterbacks out there, really. You, you, when you come out of the draft, you always get the signing bonus. You always get the money out of there. They, they believe in the guys they're paying. The Browns paid Manziel money because they believe in him down the road. But, yeah, I would agree that more than half the quarterbacks in the NFL are overpaid. <laughs> that's, that, that's the market money. If Brady and Manning get it, 
I think if you perform for four games, you're going to get paid. That's just the reality. Yeah, I think there's uh, plenty to be said as well about the overblown prices after after Joe Flacco getting his uh, big last contract as well. Sorry, Andy, to uh, leave you in the lurch there for uh, three minutes or so. Uh, but I want to bring both of you back in, especially for this one. Um, England against Pakistan, the Test Series continuing out in the UAE. I don't think anybody's seen an actual fan in the stands for the last three days just yet. Michael Vaughan saying this Test uh, match should be uh, played in Australia, somewhere where you're going to get fans is this just another sign of sport continuing to sell its soul uh, for the big dollars elsewhere andy well you know you know what i think it's easy to say it, it should be played in front of fans especially for people like michael vaughan who are passionate about test cricket um but you know we've, we've got to say it's an unenviable situation for pakistan the situation that they've been in for over five years since there were the terrorist attacks um, when Sri Lanka were visiting, which caused that displacement in the, in the first place. They're making the best of a situation um, where, you know, you know they're, they're not at home. Uh, and that's mm. very, very hard for, for any sports team. Uh, I think they've done brilliantly well um, in that time. I, I think less than the fans in the stand. The, the biggest worry, I think, if we see the first two days play, um, the first three days play, I should say, between Pakistan and England is that the pitches are absolutely dead. And at a time when test cricket is under the greatest threat that it's probably ever been, that is the real worry. Because I don't know anyone watching this Pakistan-England test at the moment who would think of it as a great advert for test cricket. And isn't that the point at the moment in a world of globalisation and, and sport? We we need to, or if you want to boost your product, you need to package it correctly like any any product that you're trying to sell, Matt. I think the problem was conditions. <laughs> Moeen Ali and Adil Rashid combined to go over 302 runs when they were bowling their spin. So I think they're trying to simulate the conditions uh, for the home side. But taking it to Australia might favour England, going back to your original point, because England play at Australia quite regularly nowadays. So I think it's a shame they haven't put it in a market where you can have cricket fans coming to watch the game. But also, I think the performance of those teams and the way the wickets play, it just suggests that people aren't going to go and watch it anyway. I don't think England fans would get excited if it was a game at Lords. If you're watching a, a pitch where you can hardly ever pick up wickets, it's just not competitive. What about the, the in general, the kind of sports selling its soul side of things? We, we see, for instance, Monza doesn't have a race uh, booked in for next season in the F1. We've got the uh, International Series bringing the NFL over across, but you, you're giving up divisional games now, as we saw with the Jets and the Dolphins, which is great for us, but bad for US fans. Is sport becoming maybe too globalised? The talk of the 39th game in the Premier League as well. And, and it is just selling out for the big bucks. Well, there's been the talk of the 39th game in La Liga as well. Mm. You know, that's something that's been talked about in the medium term by Javier Tebas, um, the president of the LFP, the Spanish League, over the last couple of weeks. Um, if, if you look at, say, um, Italy and France, they've been playing their version of the Community Shield, the, the league winners versus the cup winners abroad for a number of years now. Um, so it's, it's, it's nothing new. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, I can understand uh, wanting to bring the product um, right into the faces um, of um, you know the world market, but I, I think, especially with, with with football, I think it makes the best sense in its home context. It's about community. It's about the spirit around it, and people love watching Premier League football on TV in its native atmosphere. God, Brassel loves getting the final word in today on the show. And that is the final word pretty much for the show today. A massive thanks to both Max Whittle and Andy Brassel for joining us. Cheers, gents. Really appreciate the time that you gave us today. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.
And remember, you can catch both Andy and Max on the Shot Clock pod as the NBA season gets going once again. Uh, That's all for this week on the show. Paul will be away once again next week, so I'll have a couple more guests for you coming your way. In the meantime, enjoy the next seven days of sport. As always, remember to follow us on iTunes and subscribe to our new feed on the iTunes store. And of course, follow us on Twitter at 20MinuteHit. That's at 20MinuteHit. All one word, all lowercase. In the meantime, enjoy the sport and we'll be back in seven days' time with five big talking points. Until then, have a good one. Take care.